Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. Welcome to Industry Focus. I'm Nick Seipel. This week, John Rosevere returns the show to get us up to speed on the latest in auto and EV news. John, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me, Nick. Excited to be here with you. As every time I've had you on the show in the past year, John, there is a lot to talk about. This is a, this is a big, crazy time in the world of EVs and autos. Um, so let, let's get to it. First story uh, today. Um, Maybe auto adjacent. Uh, Intel announced plans earlier this week to spin out, spin out its Mobileye unit. That's the unit that develops chip systems for self-driving cars. Mobileye was publicly traded uh, until Intel acquired the business for about $15 billion in 2015. Today, reports are saying they're seeking a $50 billion valuation for Mobileye. John, what do you make of this news? Well, I don't follow Intel itself closely, but I know that Intel has not had a great few years. Uh, but on the other hand, Mobileye has gone gangbusters. Uh, that $15 billion that Intel paid for them was a, was a hefty premium in 2015, but Mobileye has, has roughly tripled its revenues by since then. We should back up a bit. Mobileye is an Israeli company uh, led by its co-founder, Anman Sashua, who is uh, one of the smartest people in the world working on uh, what we call machine vision, um, processing images uh, that cameras pick up, uh, hence Mobile Eye, the, the name of the company. Uh, they do business with just about every automaker in the world, um, with, the, with the exception of Tesla and the possible exception of Toyota. Uh, but many, many things. Uh, they, they have made advances in self-driving software. They are working uh, with NEO, the Chinese electric vehicle maker, on self-driving taxis uh, that are that are. Uh, coming very soon, a very impressive company has moved very quickly. At the time uh, Intel bought it, it was pretty much the only pure play self-driving stock. Um, now, of course, it's a, the field is a little more complicated, but I think a $50 billion valuation in the current market, given current valuations, uh, will be easily reached. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I mean, where do you put Mobileye in this, you know, constellation of, you know, now there's Luminar out there, there's Velodyne, you know, Nvidia, you know, to a certain extent plays in the in the self-driving universe. Where does kind of Mobileye fit in there? Are they, would you say they're a, they're a leader or or a, or a disruptor? They are. Um... Well, first of all, they're different from companies like Luminar and Velodyne because they're not making LiDAR. They're making essentially computer chips, uh, processing chips that process the images harvested by cameras, LiDAR, and so forth uh, to help uh, the self-driving car or driver assist brain, computer brain, make sense of it all. Uh, at this point, they've been around... 15 years, I want to say, something like that, a while. I mean, they weren't a new company when they when Intel bought them in 2015. At that time, they were already uh, selling uh, vision chips, uh, vision processing chips to most of the world's automakers. If, if, you know, if, if your car um, can sense when it's wandering out of the lane or anything like that, uh, Chances are good that there's a mobile eye chip in that system somewhere. Uh, their systems, their their vision processing systems on chips, uh, they've gotten a lot more sophisticated since 2015. I I, I think mobile eye um, remains out front of this. I, I don't know if you'd call them an incumbent now, uh, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, they're certainly. Uh, important to a lot of automakers' plans, whether that automaker is Ford or Neo. Let's put it that way. Yeah, and just to put them in context again, to your point, John, of how long they've been around. Gen One Autopilot, it was you know a Mobileye 
partnership. So, uh, so they've been around since you know the very earliest days of of this business. So you mentioned uh, chips, the importance of chips in, in the auto industry. It's been a big part of um, of of the news this past year. Chip shortage affecting auto supply. Ford uh, made a very uh, significant deal earlier this uh, about a month ago uh, with Global Foundries trying to uh, uh, shore up its its chip supply. How does how does this deal uh, uh, fit into you know the goings on of the auto industry today? Well, it's interesting. Um, you know, in the early days of the auto business, Ford was a pioneer of vertical integration. Uh, they had this giant factory uh, in Dearborn, Michigan, where, you know, the iron ore arrived on barges and out the other end came finished cars. Uh, you know, they bought rubber, they bought steel, they bought wood at the time when they were making Model Ts and so forth, all sorts of stuff. Uh, since then, the auto industry as a whole has gotten away from that. They depend on suppliers. They work with third parties to create parts and so forth. Uh, what we're seeing now, and this is something that Ford CEO Jim Farley has been talking about, is going back so that they're taking control of the critical parts of their supply chain. And as we've seen over the last couple of years, chips are a critical part of the supply chain. Uh, a lot of them come from or, or have come from China uh, and with geopolitical uncertainties there. Um, also, Taiwan. Taiwan is a significant supplier of chips. Uh, likewise, geopolitical uncertainties and so forth. I, I think this goes towards uh, automakers wanting factories close to where they build cars generally uh, so that they can you know drive over or fly over and keep an eye on it without <laughs> without, without needing a passport uh, yeah so yes this is you know, global Foundries is a significant company um, an established chip maker and and this is Ford taking control of another part of its supply chain as we've seen with batteries and other things. Yeah, and, and so uh, you know maybe this ties into to Ford's ambitions. They said earlier this week they they have plans to become the number two EV maker. Uh, there's been some reports globally, some reports that that, that it's the they meant the U.S. Um, but anyway, within the next two years, they want to become uh, the number two EV maker, obviously behind number one Tesla. What what do you make of, of you know how this fits into Ford's EV ambitions, and I guess the prospects of them achieving that goal. Well, they're not going to become the number two EV maker in the world. I don't think anybody thinks that. For uh, for one thing, Volkswagen is ramping very aggressively in Europe and China. Uh, but it, it is possible that they could become the number two EV maker in the U.S. or in North America. Uh, that would be ag more aggressive than Ford has led on until recently. They say they want to make 600,000 EVs a year in a couple of years. Uh, that is significant. I think, I think what Jim Farley was saying when he first said this is, we're getting out in front of GM, which has, of course, gotten a lot of plaudits for its very ambitious EV plans. And, and I think Farley's saying, yeah, well, we might outsell them in a couple of years, or at least for a little while, while they continue to ramp, because Ford is all of a sudden, um, Ford looks, looked for a long time like they were lagging GM on, on ramping up to aggressive uh, levels of EV production, but you know, under Farley, over the last year and a couple of months, they've they've really changed that tune a bit. Uh, and it's just from what they're seeing in their own demand. You know, they've got almost two hundred thousand reservations for the electric F one fifty now. Uh, they're saying now they're not going to take any more reservations, or they may close them soon. And now start, you know, you want one, go to your dealer place and order, <laughs> you know, <laughs> let's do That's this scarcity let, mindset, right? Right, yeah, let's do this properly. Um, somebody at Ford, it might have been Jim Farley himself, said the other day, we are frantically trying to figure out how to make twice as many F-150 Lightnings as we had planned <laughs> because, because the, the demand is just so high. Um, you know, this is all part of that. And, and I, again, I don't think they're going to, you know, outdo VW or outdo whoever globally. Um, 
but you know, if they can sell more EVs in the United States than Tesla does, and we know Tesla will be making more EVs, but a lot of those are sold elsewhere, uh, then that will be, you know, a small feather in Ford's cap, and that's what I think they're realistically aiming at. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how how that goes. Uh, uh, there, one last chip story. Uh, so Stellantis, this is the the company that has been formed from the uh, the combination of Fiat Chrysler and, and then the uh, the French automaker Peugeot uh, announced a deal with Foxconn to develop advanced auto chips. There have been conversations about how much more involved will Foxconn and some of these other traditionally tech suppliers get in the auto industry, and this appears to be uh, much more involved. Is the answer? What do you make of this Stellantis uh, Foxconn tie up? Well, there are two two related stories to the chip shortage. First of all, there aren't enough chips for the automakers. Second of all, the reason there aren't enough is because they have until recently relied on these older style designs um, that hold up well over time and that, that serve their function and are inexpensive. Uh, the chip manufacturing companies want to move away from those and make you know more sophisticated chips that they can get better margins on uh, for personal computers and phones and devices and things like that. Uh, so there's two parts to this story with Foxconn. First of all, Stellantis is like everybody else, trying to lock in their own chip supply. Second of all, they're working with Foxconn, or the plan is to work with Foxconn to develop more sophisticated chips for their cars, uh, which would start rolling out in a, a year and a half, two years, something like that. Um, and that is also a trend we're seeing. I, I mean, there was some talk from Ford around that with the Global Foundries deal. GM has been talking about that as well and, and, and others around the world. Uh, you know, let's go to more sophisticated chips. Let's take control of our supply chain and get chips tailored for our cars that may offer some sort of advantage. Um, because when you step back and look at EVs, they're a lot more similar to one another than internal combustion vehicles are. And automakers are thinking about how do we differentiate our product? How do we you know, how do we get people to buy a Ford versus a Chevy? How do we get people to buy, you know, a, even a Tesla versus, you know, what may be coming in a few years, a Polestar or something? And, and the answer is, is, you know, software and functionality and features. And if you have your own custom chips, uh, you know, they can play to your strengths and deliver on the features that you want. And so there's, there's that as well here. Yeah, I mean, as we see this big wave of EVs come to market, you mentioned this the strong demand that, that some of these companies are seeing. You've got to develop the supply chain to deliver those products. And we're seeing that on the chip side with the Global Foundries deal, the Stellantis deal with Foxconn uh, that we talked about. One other place we're seeing it, which maybe transitions us to our next story, is, you know, yeah, you got to have uh, components to make these batteries. You have to have uh, some of these commodities. And so earlier this morning, GM announced a long-term deal with MP Materials to develop, quote, a fully integrated U.S. supply chain for rare earth magnets to be used in an upcoming EVs. What is the significance of this deal, John? Um, rare earths. These are elements of, of, that are used to make magnets. They're not actually rare. It's just that there aren't a lot of them coming out of the ground or weren't until recently. Uh, what GM is doing is locking up uh, a supply that isn't dependent on some of the conflict minerals regions like the Congo and so forth, where a lot of cobalt comes from. Uh, MP materials, uh, I don't know a lot about them. I do know that that um, an analyst I trust on this stuff says that their CEO is probably the smartest person about uh, rare earth minerals in North America. So, you know, GM went to the right company and is doing the right thing. Um, the deal here is that production begins in 2023 and they're going to supply magnets and alloys for, quote, more than a dozen of GM's upcoming uh, EVs based on its second generation, what they call the Ultium platform, uh, which is a modular uh, platform for electric vehicles that is going to underpin uh, most GM products uh, once they go fully electric. 
yeah, MP Materials, one of these companies that came public in the last year or so, I believe it was a was a SPAC deal, and so they're they're going to be developing some U.S. based uh, rare earth supply. The question was, all right, how much demand is there going to be for this? And uh, clearly, uh, when GM and some of these other companies uh, are signing deals, it adds more and more credibility to that business thesis. So uh, you know, again, we've talked about all this EV supply that that needs to uh, or folks want to come to market, whether it's from a public policy point of view or from the consumer demand point of view, to make that happen, you need some of these uh, raw materials. And you know it's going to trickle through to, to some companies like, like MP. Uh, potentially could be an interesting investment. We'll see. Yeah, this analyst's take was that Ford and Tesla should go cut the same deal with MP as well, because this was going to, th- th- this has a chance. I mean, I mean, the analysts fund is long to MP, I think, but still, you know, I, I, we're, this is another thing like with the chips and so forth, we're going to be seeing more deals coming. Yeah, yeah, you got, yeah. If, if we're going to make these cars, you got to have the inputs to the cars. Another one of those inputs are batteries. Another uh, uh, announcement this week is that Toyota is going to be developing a battery factory in North Carolina. Uh, what do you make of this deal? I have a little different take on this one. I, Toyota, among the major global automakers, has been kind of dragging their feet a lot on EVs. They want to sell more hybrids. Uh, they think hybrids are a better intermediate solution and so forth. I will note that this was a splashy announcement, uh, but if you look at the fine details, uh, this this 1.29 billion that they're spending is part of an announcement that they announced earlier this year. Uh, it's it's batteries for 200,000 vehicles, but that's not all EVs. It's hybrids and EVs in a mix to be determined. And production isn't going to start till 2025. So this isn't you know this isn't something that's being done at at all possible speed right now. Uh, it is an interesting deal. Um, I, I, again, I do feel this is Toyota's management saying, "Hey, wait, us too," <laughs> in light of all these announcements as well. Uh, but you know, I think we need to wait and see. Um, if Toyota steps up with a more aggressive EV commitment than they have so far. Okay, so, so moving on, we've talked a bunch about some of these uh, uh, traditional automakers trying nipping at, at, at Tesla's heels. Let's talk about Tesla now. I had, had a strong earnings report, but as always with Tesla, lots of other uh, headlines out there. Elon ha- has sold a, a significant amount of stock, and there's some reports uh, this week about some, some SEC-related uh, investigations related to solar panels. What do you make of you know all the news around Tesla? <laughs> well, I, I I mean Tesla is you know an entire beat for a couple of reporters all on its own, and there are major publications who have people on the Tesla beat full time. I mean, well, Elon selling, you know, um, given where the stock is, I'm not really surprised. <laughs> I'd probably be selling too. Years and years ago, Elon said his capital would be the last out around the time of Tesla's IPO. But I, I mean, he did at least make a show of going to Tesla fans and Tesla's shareholders on Twitter and saying, hey, look, you know, I'm thinking about selling. Are you okay with that? And and the response was, sure, Elon, sell a bit. Uh, so he has been doing that. Uh, but more to the SEC investigation, there was um, a battle between Tesla, Tesla's solar division, the company formerly known as Solar City, uh, had a deal with Walmart to install uh, solar panels on the on the roofs of its stores, and the installations didn't go well, and there were some fire issues and some some complaints, and there was there was a battle back and forth. And now this is the SEC stepping in and saying, you know, we're going to take a closer look at this. We're going to look at whether you warned your investors properly that that uh, there was some risk here. Uh, what I'm wondering is if they're going to go way back and op- reopen the the Solar City merger, which, you know, was billed as this is a whole brand 
new component for Tesla. Uh, Detractor said it was Elon bailing out his cousins who had started this Solar City, the solar panel firm. I, I, I don't know where this goes. Uh, previous SEC investigations have not had much impact on Tesla, either on its share price or on its behavior. <laughs> so I don't know what this is going to do either. Uh, you know, I wouldn't expect too many fireworks. Yeah. Well, uh- yeah, what I would say is that the strength of Tesla's business is much stronger uh, than maybe it had, than it, it would have been previously, and uh, there have been similar headlines that uh, you know that the company has persevered through. So I, I think uh, you know I, I wouldn't blame uh, shareholders for for looking through uh, some of this stuff as well. Um, on on the uh, you know not to be outdone on the investi- uh, SEC investigations front, Lucid Motors also announced earlier this week a, a, an SEC. Um, investigation shares down about 18% in the past week. What's going on with Lucid? We don't know, and Lucid doesn't know. What they said in in an 8K, an SEC filing, was we got subpoenaed for some documents. Uh, The SEC asked us to produce a bunch of documents. The documents are related to um, the run-up to the SPAC merger that took us public uh, earlier in the year, um, we don't know exactly what they're doing, but it appears that's what they're looking at. That's all. That's all Lucid said. Uh, the stock has gone down hard, I think, because people in this space are mindful of the past examples of companies like Nikola and Lordstown Motors, uh, where a short seller came out and made allegations, and then you know the company went away for a couple of months and huddled with some investigators and came back and said, yeah, well, okay, there is something to those investigations, to those allegations. And, you know, this might just be the SEC doing a checkup. Uh, What I said on the day that this news broke um, on fool.com is that unlike Nikola and Lordstown Motors, uh, Lucid is shipping a vehicle that delivers on on their claims. I mean, they said, you know, our vehicle will have huge range and it will do this and it will do that um, as part of the case for, you know, supporting the merger deal, for buying the SPAC, for buying the stock. Uh, The Lucid Air is shipping and independent testers have verified that sure enough, it does have this great range and this advanced technology, build quality is good and so forth. Uh, Reviews have been very positive. Um, So I think the risk that we saw was something like, like, Nicola and Lordstown, where you know the investment case is based on these pr- grand technological claims, promises of huge numbers of pre-orders, this kind of thing, and then that all kind of went away, and the stock plummeted, and new management came in and had to reset and all that. I don't think that's a likely path for this on Lucid. I I, I think, um, I mean, sure, there may have been problems with some of the numbers, but I come back to the fact that they're shipping a car that delivered on their promises. Uh, so I, I think the company will weather this. Um, and, you know, if, if you still believe in the story, this might be a buying opportunity. Right. So, so, so you know, there's much more of a there there relative to uh, the, those other names you mentioned, the, you know, the Nikola and et cetera, right? There, there is not a car being pushed down a hill in this case. Uh, there is a real car driving, driving. Exactly. There's a factory building real cars and uh, real third party reviewers have had their hands on them and, and said, yep, Lucid delivered on what it said it was going to deliver. So, uh, yeah, it's possible that that you know, the, the SPAC leadership was playing financial games or something like that. I don't know. Um, but my sense is that Lucid will weather this just fine, whatever it is. Uh, you know, and of course, we may have to update that view at some point, but we'll see. Right. And, and you know, uh, you, there's certainly things to be. Um concerned about, I guess, at a $65 billion uh, market cap. I, I, I just looked here, but, but you know, uh, less, less of a, a rug pull situation, I think, uh, as far as a substance um, 
than maybe we'd seen with those others. Um, John, what is so? So we've talked about a bunch of these kind of stories in the headlines, uh, but we do have a few minutes uh, here. So I thought maybe I'd ask you, kind of uh, didn't prepare for this, but I'm asking you off, off the top of uh, on the top of your head, what is a story we haven't talked about today um, that folks should that folks should be uh, uh, following, or that's the, the most interesting for you as someone who is intimately familiar with, with the automotive space? Oh, good lord! Uh, <laughs> I mean, the meta story. I, you know, we, we talked a little bit about this at the beginning of the program where we had all the the new EV entrants coming to the public markets via stack and SPACs and so forth earlier in the year. Uh, you know, we had Tesla's big run up starting in late 2019 and so on. Uh, and now we're at the kind of the empire strikes back part of the story in that, you know, the big stories in the EV space are about Ford and General Motors and Volkswagen and Stellantis. Um, even while some of these smaller companies are making headway and stuff, but it's just, you know, the scale of when a company like Volkswagen pivots to EVs is just so massive uh, that, you know, it affects the whole supply chain um, and, and, you know, billions of dollars have to be spent before, uh, you know, any significant volume is attained and they've already spent quite a few billion dollars. Uh, this, this stuff that's coming, I mean, the Mach-E, the Ford Mach-E, Mustang Mach-E came out early this year. Uh, people were, I, I think some people who were very attached to the idea that Tesla is 10 years ahead of the rest of the industry were surprised, uh, perhaps pleasantly surprised, I hope pleasantly surprised, uh, by the fact that the Mach-E is a good EV. Uh, you know, it delivers on its range claims, it delivers on its performance claims, it's well-built, it's nice to drive. No, it doesn't have the Tesla supercharger network, but on the other hand, you know, nobody's, nobody's really upset about the build quality either, as we've seen on some Tesla models, particularly in early production. Um, you know, I, I think that's the big story. This is, this, is, this is the part where we see what people like me have been talking about for several years, which is here come the big automakers with a whole lot of electric vehicles. This transition is for real. Right. Yeah. So I think, yeah, uh, folks probably underestimating the scale of, of what this looks like. And also, I think, you know, to the things we talked about earlier, how that trickles through the supply chain, whether that's rare earth materials or chips or any of that, uh, you know, we're getting to real scale here now. And, uh, you know, th this is going to make real impacts in the world. John, always excited to keep up uh, with those impacts and, and the, the latest developments here with you. And uh, looking forward to doing it with you again sometime soon. Thanks, Nick. As always, people in the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against the stocks discussed, so don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Tim Sparks for mixing the show. For John Rosevere, I'm Nick Seipel. Thanks for listening, and Fool on. <laughs>